Chapter One of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clays. The summer sun streamed meltingly down on the asphalted siding of the country railway station and occasioned the usual grumbling from the passengers alighting from the afternoon express. There were only three who affect this narrative: a huge, red-faced, barrel-like figure that might have served to erect as a monument to the overfeeding in vogue in this era. A tall, spare old fellow with a grizzled beard, who looked as though he had never known a succession of square feeds, and myself, whose physique does not concern this narrative. Having surrendered our tickets and come through a downhill passage to the dusty, dirty, stony, open space where vehicles awaited travellers, the usual corner pub, in this instance, a particularly dilapidated one, and three tin kangaroos fixed as weathercocks on a dwelling over the way, and turning hither and thither in the hot gusts of wind, were the first objects to arrest my attention in the town of Nunoon, near the river Nunoon, where away it does not particularly matter. The next were the men competing for our favour in the matter of vehicular conveyance. The big man, by reason of his high complexion, abnormal waist measurement, expensive clothes and domineering manner, which proclaimed him really a lord of creation, naturally commanded the first and most obsequious attention, and giving his address as Clay's, engaged the nearest man, who then turned to me. Where might you be going? To Jiminy's Hotel. Righto, I can just drop you on the way to Clay's, said he and the big swell grunted up to a box seat, while I took a position in the body of the vehicle, commanding a clear view of the grossness of the highly coloured neck rolling over his collar. The journey through the town unearthed the fact that it resembled many of its compares. The oven-hot iron roofs were coated with red dust. A few lackadaisical larrikins upheld occasional corner posts. Dogs conducted municipal meetings here and there. The ugliness of the horses tied to the street posts, where they baked in the sun while their riders guzzled in the prolific pubs, bespoke a farming rather than a grazing district, and the streets had the distinction of being the most deplorably dirty and untended I have seen. The same could be said of a cook, or some such individual of whom I caught a glimpse when landed at a corner hotel, where I sat inside the door of a parlour awaiting the appearance of the landlady or the publican while for diversion I watched the third arrival wending his way from the station on foot and shouting something concerning melons to a man in a dray in the middle of the roadway. Evidently it was the land of melons and other fruits and vegetables. Over at the railway, loaded wagons, drays and carts were backed against a line of trucks, drawn up to convey such produce to the city and other parts of the country, while strings of vehicles similarly burdened were thundering up the street, some carts were piled with cases of peaches, grapes, tomatoes and rock-melons, the rich aromatic scent of the last mentioned, strongly asserting their presence as they passed. On some wagons the watermelons were packed in straw, and had the growers' initials chipped in the rind. Others were not so distinguished, and at intervals the roughness of the thoroughfare bumped one off. If the fall did not quite break it in two, a stray loafer pulled it so, and tore out a little of the sweet and luscious heart, leaving the remainder to the ants and fowls. The latter were running about on friendly terms with the dogs, which they equalled in variety and number. 
Droves of small boys haunted the railway premises at that time of the year, and eagerly assisted the farmers to truck their melons in return for one, and came away with their spoils under their arms. Never before had I seen so many melons, or so large. Some weighed sixty and eighty pounds or more, while those from sixteen to twenty-five pounds, in all varieties, Cuban queens, dixies, halberts honey, and cannonballs, were procurable at one shilling the dozen, and nearly as much produce as sent away, wasted in the fields for want of a market. An hour after arrival, having refused the offer of refreshments, which in such places are not always refreshing, I betook myself to a comparatively cool back veranda to further investigate my temporary surroundings. A yellow-haired girl with rings on her fingers sprawled in a hammock, reading a much-thumbed, circulating library novel and eating peaches. This was the landlord's daughter, and a very superior young lady indeed from her own point of view. I learnt that at present there would only be one other boarder besides myself. He came up for the weekend and had just gone down to Clay's to see someone there. If he could get a berth at Clay's, he would not come back. But the only hope of being taken in there during the summer weather was to bespeak room a long way ahead, as there was a great run on the place. It was built right beside the river, and they kept boats for hire, which attracted a number of desirable young men from the city to engage in weekend fishing, picnicking, swimming, and such. And the young gentlemen attracted young ladies, who found it difficult to be taken in at all, because old Mrs. Clay allowed her granddaughter Dawn to boss the place, and she favoured men boarders. The tone of yellow hair suggested that perhaps the men boarders favoured Dawn. At all events, it was an attractive name, and aroused interested inquiry from me. Oh, yes, some thought her a beauty. There were great arguments as to whether she or Dora Cowper, another great big fat thing in a hay and corn store over the way, was the belle of Nunoon. But for her part, yellow hair thought her too coarse and vulgar and high-coloured. Miss Jiminy was sallow and thin, and she was always making herself seen and known everywhere. One would think she owned Noonan. "'There she is now!' exclaimed the girl, pointing out another who was driving a fat pony in a yellow sulky. "'Talk of the devil!' "'Perhaps it is an angel in this case,' I responded for though she was thickly veiled, she suggested youth and a style that pleased the eye. Whether she and the boats were sufficient to make Clay's an attractive place of residence, I did not know, but already was painfully aware of conditions that would make Jiminy's hotel an uncomfortable location. I retired to my room to escape some of them. The foul language of the tipplers under the front veranda, and the winds from two streets that also met there in a whirlwind of dust and refuse. There was nothing for me to do but kill time, and no way of killing it but by simple endurance. I had been ordered to some country resort for the good of my health. But do not fear, reader, this is not to be a compilation of ills and pulses, for no one more than the unfortunate victim of such is so painfully aware of their lack of interest to the community at large. There are, I admit, some invalids who find a certain amount of entertainment in inflicting a list of their aches upon people blissfully unconscious of how wearisome they can be, but my temperament is of the sensitive order, knowing its length too well to similarly transgress. How I had struck upon Noonan I don't know or care, except that it was within easy access of the metropolis, 
and I have no predilection for being isolated from the crowded haunts of my fellows. I had descended upon Jiminy's Hotel because in an advertisement sheet it was put down as the leading house of accommodation in Noonan. Now I had come to hear of Clay's and Dawn, and determined to shift myself there as soon as possible. This did not seem imminent, for presently the bloated aristocrat came back to Jiminy's pub for the evening meal, as he had been unable to get so much as a shakedown at Clay's. This so aroused my desire to be a boarder at Clay's that I straightway wrote a letter to its chatelaine, inquiring what style of accommodation she provided, and could she accommodate me and strolling up the broken street while a few larrikins at corners by way of entertaining themselves and me made remarks upon my appearance i dropped it in at the post office but had to endure a week's inattention at jiminy's and no end of yarns from outside folk i encountered as to how mrs jiminy robbed the swipes who took their poison at her bar before i was honoured by a reply from mrs clay the accommodation provided by me for people is clean and wholesome and the best is suits me. If it don't suit them, there are other places near that makes more efforts to gather custom than I do. I can't take you in at present, as I'm too full for my taste as it is. Yours respectfully, Martha Clay. This interesting rebuff inspired me to further effort, and sitting on the back veranda under a giant fig tree shedding its delicious and wholesome fruit, also to the fowls and ants, I wrote, Dear Madam, would you kindly apprise me when it would be convenient to accommodate me, as I am anxious to be near the river, where I could indulge in boating? To this I received a reply. There isn't any chance of me accommodating you till the cool weather, and then I don't take boarders at all. I like to have them all in the summer, and then have a little peace to ourselves in the winter without strangers, for the best of them have their noses poked everywhere they are not wanted. If you want to go near the river, there are heaps of houses where there isn't no such rush of people as at my place. This firmly determined me to reside at Mrs. Clay's, a desired member of the household, or perish in the attempt. Alack, I had plenty time to spend in such a trifle, for I was but a derelict, broken in fierce struggle, and hopelessly cast aside into smooth waters, safe from the stormy currents now too strong for my timbers that I had means to lie at anchor in some genial boarding-house, instead of being dependent upon charity, was undoubtedly food for thankfulness, and when one has burnt their coal-heap to ashes, they are grateful for an occasional charcoal among the cinders. No other place near the river but clays would do me, though the valley had much to recommend it at that season, when grapes, peaches, and other fruits were literally being thrown away on every hand so I repacked my trunk, and the busman who had brought me took me once more along the execrable streets, past the corner pub near the railway station, and, it being late afternoon, the railway employees, as they came off duty, were streaming towards it for the purpose of wetting their whistle after their eight-houred day's work. Leaving the misguided fellows thus, worse than ignorantly refreshing themselves, and the tin kangaroos showing that the breeze was from the east, I travelled farther west to a summer resort in the cool altitude, there to await from Mrs. Martha Clay a recall to the Vale of Melons. That I would get one I was sure, and so little was there in my life that even this prospect lent a zest to the mail each day. I had neither relatives nor friends. Fate had apportioned me none of the former, and fierce, absorbing endeavour 
had left little time for cultivating the latter while pride bade me hide from all acquaintances who had known me standing amid the plaudits of the crowd strong and successful and fiercely desiring to be left to myself i shrank with sensitive horror from the sympathy that is only careless pity End of chapter one